Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here are your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Making Action Happen, the show that we do for our Action 22 members in Colorado and around the country and the world now. Um, I'm Sarah Blackhurst. And I'm Brian McCain. Uh, So today we have, this is going to be a really fun show for me. Uh, We are going to be talking about redistricting again and everything that's going on. We've all, everybody's been doing lots of interviews about this, but I have my uh, close colleagues uh, from sister organizations, Club 20 and Pro 15 from Club 20, the ever fabulous Christian Reese, and from Pro 15, the incomparable Kathy Scholl. Uh, These guys are some of the biggest champions for rural and biggest advocates for rural issues that you will find um, anywhere in the country. I love them both so much. Welcome to the show, guys. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Yes. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So redistricting. Now, we've been talking about this for a while. I've actually been thinking about it for years um, <laughs> just because, as, as full disclosure, Christian and I worked for Congressman Tipton together. And as this was coming up, um, you know, I, w- I was working for him and we didn't know what the district was going to look like. We knew that the state was probably going to get a seat. Um, some people even, and I was one of them, thought it was possible we could get two, but it just didn't grow that much um, or it wasn't recorded in time for the census. That's another thing. I think a lot more people moved here or are currently moving here that the census caught. So what the, the census population is going to show, I think there's actually more people in Colorado that it's coming under a little bit. But um, as you know, about a few weeks ago, the census gave its official population count for the state of Colorado. They haven't gone into the the county populations, just the state, and we're getting an eighth seat. Um, With that, we have all been working with our our sister organizations, Club 20, Action 22, Pro 15, basically looking at the map and what would be best for our people that we represent, our counties. And we, we kind of like came through a, con, a consensus and it's gone back and forth a bit, but really what we want to see is two rural districts. Um, part of what I've said on the show before, and we, we've argued back and forth is that um, you have these districts and you have the metro and you have the rural and the suburban. And what we want to see is two districts where our values are represented in Congress. And that's where we came to the two rural districts. So with that, um, we have Christian on the screen right now, and you can sort of see the map in the background. She's blocking a little bit of it, but this is the map that we all kind of agreed on that we think would be best that we agree with. And it's not perfect. You know, um, there's parts of it that I don't like. Um, I'm sure there's parts of it that Christian and Kathy don't like. But again, this is what we feel would be a, a great opportunity to have that rural representation in the state from two congressmen, two or women, congressmen or women. Um, so what do you think, Christian, looking at this map, what do you like about it? What do you not like about it? And then we'll go to Kathy after you. Well, this map 
came as a result of really some thoughtful dialogue between the three organizations. You know, initially we talked about just the two rural districts, but we all agreed it would be more powerful for our three groups to actually sit down together and flesh out a map that we felt represented communities of interests in our region. And so this was the resulting product. product. And certainly there are some who, you know, won't like it, who will poke holes in it. But from our perspective, it really keeps a few key components intact that are very important to Club 20. The first being watersheds. So when you look at this map, it keeps the Colorado River Basin whole. It also keeps the um, Rio Grande River Basin whole by keeping the San Luis Valley together. So we feel that those are really important federal issues that a member of Congress would want to work on as a, as a unit rather than, you know, potentially splitting the Western Slope in half. Um, another key important um, item that de designates the West Slope from the Front Range is the amount of federally owned lands. If you pull up a map of federal lands in Colorado, there's an extremely distinct line that goes right down the Rocky Mountain Range that shows that the federal lands are on the West Slope. So when we do have a member of Congress representing our region, it's important to keep those like issues together. And we really feel strongly that this map does that for Western Colorado. Okay. Well then that's Western Colorado. And I'm, as you know, more familiar, we've talked about the West Slope and Southern Colorado, but the part of the state that I'm not as familiar with would be Northeastern Colorado. And that's where Kathy comes in with Pro 15. So Kathy, let's talk about Northeastern Colorado and what you like or don't like about this map in front of us. Well, I guess the first thing I'd start off with is that I really like the fact that we're presenting a map to the commission. Mm -hmm. uh, I was with Pro 15 10 years ago when we did this whole process, um, the first time I was involved. And there it wasn't a commission. It was way more political than this time. <laughs> way more political than the last time around. Um, but the thing with the Eastern Slope um, I've lost some of my Pro 15 counties like Larimer, Adams, Arapahoe, Douglas that are part of Pro 15, but they have become more and more populated. Their populations are almost going to form another district of their own or be included in the new district. With our part of the state and with part of Southeast Colorado, we have several things that are alike. We are the biggest agricultural producing area of the state from Rocky Ford cantaloupes to, to beef, to corn, to sugar beets, um, to livestock and dairies, all are a big part of our economy. In fact, in the Northeast part of the state, we have nine of the 10 top producing ag counties in the country. The wow. other thing in this area is energy. We have the traditional oil and glass in the ground, but we are the biggest part of the state that is moving forward in renewables and solar and in wind energy. Those are all really growing on the Eastern Plains. So again, as Christian said, it helps to have our district represented by somebody that understands those issues and can represent us well 
um, at the national level. And looking looking at the map now, I think one interesting thing, and again, we've talked about this, so sorry to bore our listeners to bring this up again, is that El Paso County um, basically probably has enough people to be its own district. And, and currently you have the, the counties around it that are part of the fifth CD. And now that kind of opens up some counties because I, I, I know that Colorado's population grew. I don't know how much the rural population grew. I know on the Western slope, we might have, I, last I checked, I think it was, they're estimating at least 20,000 people more this census. Um, but the Eastern Plains, I, I honestly don't see much change either more or less, but with El Paso County being its own district, that frees up a few counties around that. And that, that was part of our discussion is where these are going to go, where Pueblo is going to fit into this and, and whatnot. But um, the, you touched on the energy and the ag and here in Southeastern Colorado, um, our energy portfolio is booming right now because we have the renewables come in and you're, you have everything from Vestas here, solar farms. Um, there's some legislation that's going to possibly impact for better or worse on a lot of this. But I, I don't think people realize that in northeastern Colorado that you do have a big energy, oil and gas, even renewable energies up there, along with the agriculture. When you think agriculture in Colorado, everybody thinks um, potatoes and cattle right. out east. Mm-hmm. Um, but you said that this is interesting. You said nine of the 10 biggest ag producing counties are actually in northeastern Colorado in the United yeah, States. In, no, in Colorado. Are in Colorado. I mean. But. Uh, about three of them are the biggest ag producing in the country, Weld County being one of them. Yeah. So, um, um, and when we talk about agriculture, now the new part of agriculture is hemp production, which is becoming very much um, a growing industry in our part of the country. And with that agriculture is the value added part of it. So with hemp, it will be hemp production, with agriculture, it's um, like the Cargill beef plant or the Leprino cheese factory, which is why we have all of the dairies in the area. So manufacturing is a value, ag value added product is really growing in our region. Well, um, and then going to the West Slope, you know, traditionally the West Slope of Colorado has always been, um, you know, it's energy, it's oil and gas. That, that was the big thing. But in recent years, I know, Christian, that we're seeing a huge influx of everything from wineries, more ag opening up. Um, what's happening on the West Slope right now that's kind of changing the face of the economy that you can talk about? Well, you're, you're right. You know, we have one of the largest natural gas deposits in the entire world here that's in Jordan. Western Colorado. Jordan Cove, right? No, that's a Piance Basin. Our Piance Basin, I'm sorry. That's right. So um, a a recent GIS study showed that it was significantly larger than anybody ever anticipated. But because of some of the challenges that the extractive industries are facing, it's more cost effective for those natural gas producers to uh, produce natural gas in other states. And so we have seen some of our producers, our, our natural gas producers, leaving the area, which has caused uh, quite a few jobs lost 
in the region. And so we are seeing different sectors moving in. Um, in Mesa County, for example, we are seeing a surge of manufacturing uh, opportunities that are starting to open up. Even some tech-related uh, companies are, are relocating to the area, and we're starting to see that more and more throughout the region, which is exciting. Uh, to your point, Brian, agritourism is a booming business now. In the once uh, coal-friendly Somerset area, now that those coal mines have shut down all but one in the in the valley there, they produce wine and they produce organically grown vegetables. And um, it's really changed the dynamic of that region, but it's also brought life to a region that, you know, was, was really dwindling there for, for many years. So it is a changing landscape in our region, though it is still very heavily agricultural with beef production, with lamb production, uh, with the Olathe sweet corn and the Palisade peaches and, of course, Palisade wine. So still very heavily agricultural, which is important to be able to rep represent those interests um, with our member of Congress. And and looking at the, the west slope versus the east slope, you know, and more so with this map, but even the current map, you have the um, resort towns are in the third district. And this would expand on that, I believe. It would, it would. So our resort communities really actually were quite busy during the pandemic as people from the more populous parts of the country, New York, California, even Texas, left their cities and came to our resort communities in the mountains to get away from COVID. Many of them have stayed. Many of them have chosen to enroll their schools into our, or their children into our school system. And um, so we're seeing some growth there. This proposed map that is before you today, it does pick up three new counties that were not tradi traditionally in the third congressional district, that's Chafee Park and Teller. And it does take Grand County, which was previously in the third, um, but was plucked out in the 2010 redistricting process and placed into the second. This map puts Grand County back into the third because it's more of a community of like interest with the Western Slope than uh, with the second congressional district from our perspective. So it does group those like interests together. Yeah, and it also puts all of Eagle County in the, the district, which right now it's split in half, which I, I think and I believe part of um, this process, they're trying not to split up counties when possible. And if they do, they have to justify why. Um, again, going back to El Paso County, um, you know, there's a possibility that El Paso County has too many people to be its own district. So you might see kind of a split from maybe the fountain area to something else or, you know, something like that if they have too many people, which again, we haven't seen the county numbers yet. And that's going to be the, the factor in deciding this. Um, an another thing that I think that people don't realize is that we're not making the map. You know, this is just a suggestion. And there's other groups out there that are suggesting maps. You know, I've seen a dozen of them. And some of them just make absolutely no sense whatsoever where you have, you know, the I-70 corridor would be a congressional district or a weird chunk of the southern state over the continental divide. But, you know, I, I can't say enough that we're not making the map. We're not writing the map. This is just what we are suggesting to the commission to do. At the end of the day, it's the commission that is responsible for the new map, not Action 22, not Club 20, not Pro 15. Um, but currently, as the districts stand, 
you know, one thing that we've, we've been talking about is um, fair representation or adequate representation from our member of Congress. And as the districts stand now, you have the third district where you have the population centers are Mesa County and Pueblo County. So for the representative from the third district, they have to hit both of them. You know, those are the population centers. And I'll say this, um, it's the truth, may not be popular, but when you're a representative of a district, you go where the people are, the votes. So on the other side of the mountain, you have the, the current district and you have a metro area and then just one population center versus all the rural. And it's a, a representative representative's time is important and they have to use it smartly. So if you only have one metro center, one population center in your district, you're going to spend the majority of your time there and hopefully get out to the other counties. The third district, we're lucky because the two population centers are split. Um, the other side, eh, not so much. Um, and I, again, I'm not criticizing the um, representative buck in any way whatsoever. But when you have the majority, like 90% of your voters in one area, you have to spend your time there because that's where your constituents are. And what I like about this new idea for the uh, Eastern Plain District is that it would put Pueblo in that along with Weld County, and those would be the population centers, which would spread out the coverage and have the representative, you know, he or she would have to cover these areas and travel more on the road. And, and, and that's, that's just my opinion. But So when we've, and we've been having lots of conversations um, about this with people, and I know that uh, people in your area have been um, coming to you. I think the biggest thing that when we sit down with anybody that we're trying to really make sure that they understand is um, we aren't drawing the maps, but there are four very specific directives for the commission on doing this. Um, and I think the number one thing that people are, are, are not quite understanding or um, and you guys can say if it's something different for you guys, but for, for the conversations we've been having, um, that this is population based. That's the whole thing. Is it's it's what fulfills that. And I don't know, is it it's like it's somewhere around seven hundred and twenty-five thousand per district. Within That's, one person. Within one person. That's the other part. I'm I don't even understand that part, but it has to be that 325,000 within that. Um, and then the other directive, so that's the number one directive. The number two is um, communities of interest and political subdivisions. And a political subdivision, of course, is a county or a city municipality. Um, the third um, the third one, and this is the other one, I keep forgetting what the third one was. Um, oh, I remember. It is, they have to be, um, and if you guys are looking at this map and for the people who are on the radio, they're not seeing, like you can't take a county on the Western slope and then take a county um, over on the Eastern Plains and then put them um, as part, as together in a district. They have to be, um, they have to be next to each other as much as possible. So you can't just like pick and choose which counties to fill that district. And then of course, the fourth is that you cannot, um, draw the maps that would in any way protect an incumbent or uh, an incumbency or somebody who's running. Um, you can't do that to protect them or to help them with their campaigns. What has been the thing for you guys, for both of you, what has been the thing that it's been hard for people you've had to sit down and have the conversation with about what's been the most, the biggest one for you guys? Well, I can tell you 
when we made our when we made this map public from a club 20 perspective we did have to explain all of those key considerations and when when sarah kathy and myself sat down to develop this map there was not one word mentioned about political parties or about well you know how would this impact the current person that's in that office because frankly that's not the charge of this redistricting commission. This redistricting commission is wholly different than it's ever been in the past. And its charge is to keep adjacency, to keep communities of interest together without gerrymandering these districts. I mean, that's it truly was an anti-gerrymandering campaign that brought uh, amendments Y and Z that caused the legislative and congressional redistricting commissions to be built. So that was not a consideration when we drew these lines. And I, I've had to make that very, very clear um, to people on both sides of the aisle that we didn't evaluate the competitive nature of the district, but rather communities of interest, economies of interest, watersheds, um, these true boundaries that are play such a, a, a forward role in our all of our lives. Um, the last thing I'll just say real quick is to the mapping, I've seen several maps that essentially create what, what I call the wedge model. So it's where you would take the state of Colorado and divide it into essentially wedges where there's one point touching in the Denver metro area. And I've seen several maps submitted to the redistricting commission that would accomplish that wedge model. And what that's going to do, should something like that be passed, is by having a portion in the Denver metro those urban voices are going to drown out all of the rural voices that are in that subsequent wedge. And there will not be representation for rural Colorado should a model like that be passed. So that's something that we really wanted to get in front of as our three organizations to say, absolutely not. This isn't representative of our communities. Um, and also leading to the reason why we came up with this map. I guess from the perspective of Pro 15, uh, I haven't really had too much pushback on this map. Um, I think they're excited that we actually submitted a map and that it was two rural uh, districts, uh, communities of interest. Um, it will be interesting to see as we move forward um, where people fall on this. Um, and again, um, Christian said she saw the wedge map and I saw one that was like, you know, cut us in thirds and eighths and whatever that, you know, cross the Rocky Mountains. And, and I'm like, and that's, that's a, you know, take a strip right out of the bottom or the top is, is just not going to work. Uh, this map, I think, is better because as of right now, no counties have been split. And that was one of the big complaints in 2010 is that there was that split in counties. Um, I believe at least part of Adams and Arapaho were both in the fourth previously or currently. Um, and it's really hard um, if you're a county or a city government that you have then two uh, or two representatives that you have to deal with for what's going on in your communities. So for the most part, what I'm hearing is pretty positive. 
mainly just the fact that we have submitted something um, that is there to protect the rural interests and, and uh, uh, the rural economies. I keep getting asked, um, so what if you don't get this map? Um, and I don't know what to say to that. And it finally occurred to me, I'm going to be like that old lady on Princess Bride where she was yelling at, you know, at the princess and she's calling him a liar. And I'm just going to be like that old lady pointing my finger at everybody screaming gerrymandering. That's what I'm going to do on that. Because what else? I, I'd love to see somebody else if they've got something that they would produce that was not gerrymandering that doesn't look like this map at all. I, I just don't, do you see any other, do you see any other solutions to fit those four? Either of yeah. you? In, I, I've had a few of those conversations also, Sarah. And, you know, there's been talk about, you know, why would you pull Fremont out of the third? Well, Fremont County has a population of around 50,000 people when I checked, you know, so if you put Fremont in the third, then you have to start eroding into some of those mountain communities to offset the population. And is is that not gerrymandering within itself? Yeah. You know, I, I also mm. have had some conversations about, well, maybe Park and Teller end up in like a strip with maybe Clear, Clear Creek um, and Gilpin counties. I could potentially see that happening. But again, you're going to have to offset that population by picking up maybe Custer and Werfano, which we know Fremont, Custer, Werfano, and Los Animas all have more in common with Pueblo than they do, you know, maybe with, with the West Slope or with the San Luis Valley, for example. So I don't really know, you know, if you're truly taking in the key factors that we're supposed to be considering when proposing congressional districts, I'm not sure how you create a map that accomplishes keeping communities of interest together, meeting the 720,000 people population, um, and, and having a competitive district. I don't see how you get there. Right. Kathy? And, and as we all know, I mean, we submitted a map that's more than we've done in the last couple, three censuses. So uh, we've got to start here. We may or we may not, but all we can do is is uh, tell our story and plead our case and and watch what they do and and uh, protect ourselves as as much as we can. But I would also encourage all of our members, all of our members from all three organizations, to go on their redistricting website and make a public comment saying you support this map, or if you don't support this map, you should say so and say how it should be different. But truly, the citizens have such a role in this process they've never had in the past, and they need to get out there and make their voice heard on the redistricting website. Yeah. Well, with that, we're going to um, we're going to go to break in just a second. But um, for all three organizations, if you're members of those organizations, um, you're going to be getting lots of emails with opportunities and links um, to go ahead and make those kinds of comments. If there's something you guys want to talk about or if anybody wants to talk about with any of the three of us, um, just reach out. You can, of course, reach out to us um, at uh, show at action22.org. Um, we're going to put up uh, everybody's email addresses on, on our stuff. Ladies, I enjoy so much working with both of you. I appreciate not only everything that you are, but everything that you do for our rural communities in Colorado. So thanks so much for coming on the show. We'll talk soon. Um, when we come back, we have uh, a little bit of an announcement to, about uh, a new thing that Action 22 is going to be um, launching. 
and uh, just stick with us. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, ladies. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This episode of Making Action Happen is sponsored by Action 22's amazing energy leaders. Excel Energy, Colorado Rural Electric Association, Colorado Oil and Gas Association, Gil Romero and the Capital Success Group, Black Hills Energy, Nextera Energy, San Isabel Electric Association, Outshine Energy, Colorado Solar and Storage Association, Tri-State and 174 Power Global. Action 22 is a nonpartisan, membership-driven organization which serves as a voice for action on public policy for 22 southern Colorado counties on the state and federal level. We focus on how issues relating to Colorado legislation, local government affairs, health care, education, and natural resources intersect for the economic health of our region. If you're a leader in your community and are considering joining Action 22, you can get more information by emailing show at action22.org or visit our website at action22.org. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Welcome back. We just finished a really great conversation with um, our sister organizations, their executive directors, uh, Christian Reese from Club 20 and uh, Kathy Schulf from Pro 15. And uh, it's been really great this last little bit to um, everybody, all of us to really get on board um, on this whole redistricting thing. And we're always working concert with each other, but it's been really nice to um, have something this important that we're fighting together for. Um, right now. So we've got three weeks left in the session. Um, I think that the Senate president announced um, this earlier this week that they were he was going to try to close the session by the 28th of May. 
Um, so we've been having lots of conversations about a lot of different things, but before I get into this idea that I've been circling, um, talk a little bit about what your week's been like and who you've been talking to this week. The issues were really foremost. Uh, yeah. Um, so this week, um, I, I met with some people, um, you know, met with some people, did a few things, talked to a man <laughs> about a horse, one of those. Uh, so, uh-huh. uh, Basically, uh, again, I can't, I can't reiterate how important it is for membership for our organization. We are a member-driven organization, and we've been doing a lot and doing a lot for a lot of people. And again, this week, I'm just chasing memberships. So, so we've added three new members this week. Yeah, we've added a few. We've, is it three or four? We've added uh, maybe three or four yeah. new members. Actually, maybe it's four that we've added this yeah. week now that I think yeah. about it. Um, and they're from all over the place yep. um, and all different areas. And we will, we're going to talk about them um, next week about who's joining and why they're joining and all of that sort of thing. Uh, so I, you and I talked about this a little bit. You asked a few people about this. I want to start to do an action 22 scorecard for our elected, um, our elected officials and our legislators. Yes. So here's how I came about this thought. And it's from a lot of different things. One of the things, so there's been a lot of great legislation introduced, productive legislation introduced this session, but there's been a lot of legislation that I've been really frustrated with And I've been trying to articulate my frustration, and it really comes down to this. There's legislation being introduced that isn't relevant to Colorado issues. What I mean by that is um, we're seeing legislation that is trying to, uh, in Colorado, that's trying to address a problem that's happening in another state. So Colorado likes to do this thing where we like to do it first and we want to set the example and we do that, which is kind of cool in some ways, but when it's legislation that is going to have a a terrible um, detrimental impact to Coloradans and it's not really addressing an issue that's a Colorado issue, but it's really trying to do um, something in another, like we're trying to set up a program or something or, or do a model that would actually be used in another state. I, that makes me mad. So there's that relevancy issue. Well, um, Colorado's litmus test for it, right? Yes. It, it, it's easy to, to do a, um, a ballot initiative in Colorado to see how it goes. So Ugh. you can't do that in other states. So you do it in Colorado. And if it passes, then, you know, you're like, okay, the people like this, they're going to probably vote for this in another state. So we have that. The other side of it is there are problems. And again, I don't think anybody is elected that has bad intentions. Correct. You know, nobody's doing this because they're Dr. Evil trying to destroy the world. You know, everybody has good intentions when they're, they're, they're working on this legislation, introducing it, whatever, at least 99.9% of them. There might be a few bad guys in there that just want to watch the world burn. (laughs) I don't know who they are specifically. Yeah. But, but still at the same time, um, 
again, this is federally and Colorado, you get this one size fits all. So what's good enough for this area is good enough for all the area. And that's what I think we're seeing a lot of this uh, legislation be introduced. That's it's one size fits all. It's, you know, this needs to happen. This is great for a certain area of Colorado, right? but it's not good for all of Colorado. Well, and what I'm finding too, is the ones that are sort of the not relevant to Colorado ones are the ones that are, those are the ones that are skipping over the stakeholder process. Yes. So Colorado does that and it's a litmus test, but they really, there's some legislation, they do a really, really great job of going out and getting everybody's opinion and really finding out what's going to work and what's not going to work. And we're usually uh, intimately involved in that process. Um, and we, and it's been great. Like, for example, an Action 22 board has will, will take their position on the transportation funding tomorrow. But I will tell you, prior to all the discussions, is they came, um, CDOT, we had lots of conversations with CDOT. They actually pivoted on some of the things that mm-hmm. we suggested. That stakeholder process is really, really important. So the irrelevant ones, there's not, they really can't do the stakeholder process well, in it, an effective way because it's not about Colorado. But the, the thing is, too, with the stakeholder process, if you have a hundred things that need this, the input of the stakeholders, it gets, it's brutal. Yeah. You know, how many, it's even like action 22. It's like, we look at all this stuff coming down and it's like, we need to take a position on this, on this and this. It's like, you have to pick your fight. Yes. And unfortunately, when you have a hundred things that involve the stakeholder process over the course of six weeks, you know, the stakeholders are going to concentrate on the top priorities to them. Yes. So you'll have all these bills, this legislation, and they're getting the stakeholder process, but nobody, if you're involved with this, you do not have the time of day to be involved with all all 100 things. And that's also, it's, it's a great that like the Pueblo Chamber of Commerce they have their legislative breakfast where they have the, the state legislators up there that talk about what they're doing. They have an open forum for questions where you get everybody in and you can kind of hear because you may have um, John Smith that's concerned with this. And then, you know, Steve Trujillo that's concerned with this. Yeah. Not the, by the way, not the Steve Trujillo. I'm just doing a, I know five <laughs> Steve Trujillos. Just we know a name. few in Pueblo. Yeah. yeah. It, but, it, but um, it, it is, it's gets exhausting it and does. for even for our organization, it's really tough for us to like, you know, we'll have members that say, hey, you you need to do something about this. And it's like, I'm sorry, we're doing something about these other five things, you know, and, and we just don't have the resources. We don't have the time. We don't have the manpower to do this. We'll sit here for an entire day just to testify on a bill. Yeah. And, and it's tough. And that, that kind of that shocks me coming from the federal side to the state side. Whereas, you know, on the federal side, you have two years to work on a bill and you have like a handful of bills. They're not going to go anywhere anytime soon. It's like, Oh, we need to get <laughs> letters of support for this or letters of opposition. You, like what's the deadline? I don't know. Six months with the state with action 22. It's like, we need to boom, get, boom, boom, we need boom, to get boom, this boom. like when tomorrow or this afternoon, like calling somebody at one or somebody calls us, can we get something? Yeah. What's the deadline? Two hours. Yeah. The can't, the committee yeah. hearing is in. And, this, and it's a brutal, yeah. but, but again, I think that um, again, no, no bad intentions in this, but I, I think that the, um, the, the legislators that are throwing all this out there and introducing these bills, 
you know, I, I, they, they have the stakeholder process, but they know that it may not be as engaged as if they only had 20 things, you know, if yeah. they have 500 things, you know, they could say they have the stakeholder process, but that's, but do they, they, they do. And they don't, I mean, it take it's a tremendous yeah. lift and, and they started the stakeholder process a full year before yeah. the transportation, uh, the transportation funding was introduced. So literally we've been having, honestly, transportation, we've been having this discussion yeah. for 25 years. I and, mean, and everybody's like, when is this going to drop? When is this going to drop? What's it going to look like? What's it going to look like? And now it's finally dropped. It's dropped and it's in committee next week. So and it dropped on Tuesday. What, two weeks until. Yeah, we have three weeks left in the session. Weeks. So. Yeah. It, that's a, the brutal part of it. And I think the other thing, as I'm thinking about the scorecard, um, yeah. and you know, I always ask the same two questions, what matters most to those we serve and what does our community need from us? As we're talking about redistricting, I'm asking the question, what matters most on this redistricting uh, stuff? And it, the answer, they'll, they're going to word it differently to, depending on who I'm talking to, but what they're really saying is we want to make sure that we get the representation that we need and that we deserve. Yeah. And over and over and over again, all the concerns are, is this going to make sure that we're going to get that? So here's my thought process. And, I, and I'm asking you as our listeners and our Action 22 people and everybody um, to sort of help me figure this out. Because what matters most is representation. That's why the stakeholder process is important. Um, that, the, that legislation that's being introduced is relevant um, if it's trying to solve a Colorado problem or something else. Whatever it is that we're trying to do. Um, we have representatives, uh, and I guess this is where my frustration is because I was thinking about our state representatives. So at any moment, I can pick up my phone, I can get an immediate and text and get immediate response from um, the governor's office, the AG, our state treasurer, um, the Senate president, um, the speaker, the majority leaders in the House and the Senate. I would have a response to them within minutes. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I did that. I practiced, I've done that this last week. In this last week since we uh, we did the show, yeah. that has actually happened where With I've been too. on every single one of them. And that's when that's one of the biggest powers that Action 22 has. Um, so I get kind of frustrated. I have set my expectations very high because I'm used to that kind of representation. So this whole scorecard isn't, I don't want it to necessarily be about how they voted, but rather how they engaged and represented our needs. Yeah. So that's what I want to do. I want to say Cleve Simpson, for example, who's a wonderful representative, who does a great job, who's regularly engaged. Um, and the Action 22, all of them, I can say Donald Valdez, I can say Denea Escar, I can say mm-hmm. President Garcia, I can say any of those and they'll immediately respond to us. I want that scorecard to reflect that they're um, that they're actually genuinely representing us, um, and it, for it to look like that. So we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but what do you what? So, and when you've talked to people about it, you kind of took that idea out um, to some of the people you were talking to this week. What was has been the response on that? So. Um... So yeah, it's a positive response. Um, there are organizations. I know there's um, like union organizations do that. Sure. They have their like 
so-and-so showed up to this meeting, so-and-so waited on this. And it's not negative or positive. This is not like, yes. th this isn't a negative reinforcement type thing. This is like, hey, um, as Action 22, as an organization, here's what we got. Look, um, Representative Garcia, or Escar showed up to this. Senator Garcia showed up to this. Um, you can even go federal. You know, Senator Bennett did this. Yeah. And it just shows that that the the leaders are engaged with the organization and the community in the area. And, and I, it is accountability. And again, this isn't a negative reinforcement thing. No. This is like, you know, we, we'd always get the pledges or the, um, you know, sign a contract with this group and you have to do these things. And if you don't, we're going to send out a bad scorecard. Oh, no. Um, no, this is no, not that. This not is just all. like, hey, this is what we're offering to our membership. Um, and look, you could see like the, the governor, that governor came and met with people and we talked about this. Um, you know, your representatives, your senators did this. And, and it's just, I hate to use the word, it keeps them accountable. Yeah, I don't accountability, like that word But it's not, this is positive because, and I'll say this, our representatives from a state level right now for our area, for the Action 22 region are more than engaged. Yes. They, they consistently call us. Yep. They check up on us. Even if it's just a friendly chat, you know, we had, um, uh, Valdez, uh, yeah, Valdez. Valdez. <laughs> like he, he calls, he calls me like on Monday morning, like, Hey, yep. just checking in anything I need to know about, you know, am I doing okay with this? Um, that's important. And there's the stigma with politicians that's, Oh, they get elected and then they're just up there and they don't care anymore. And, um, you know, oh, they're just fundraising, like they get elected in their fundraising, which, uh, to be fair, some of them are, sure. but, um, I'm, I tell them, I'm like, no, like I had a conversation. We had lunch with the governor. We sat down with Donald Valdez. We talked yeah. to Danae Escar. We talked to Leroy Garcia, Cleve Simpson came by the office, you know, anything like that. And this would be an opportunity for these leaders to show like, no, I'm actually engaged with you. And here's how you can be more engaged with me. And again, um, as I said on the first half hour of this, it's like time is precious when it comes to politicians, um, yes. especially oh like when you gosh. have huge districts. And I'm not even talking about the federal districts. I'm saying like, you know, Cleve Simpson, some of these guys that are state reps huge. and senators have like 17 counties, something yeah. like that. It's crazy. That's tough. Um, they, they get more of an opportunity when they're out of session to, uh, to go out there. And, and these are not East Coast counties. These no, are huge. counties that are bigger than East Coast states combined. Yeah, we have counties in the Action 22 area that have like five towns in them. Yeah. Or five municipalities, five cities, whatever. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, and this is this would be an opportunity for somebody like Leroy Garcia, Danae Escar, Cleve Simpson, Donald Valdez be like, no, I am engaged. And we could say, P.S., look, here on our website, we could show what he's done. Um, where he's been and how he's engaged and be like, and if you want to be engaged, then come join the organization or this is where you find him. This is where he's going to be. Yeah. And I, I hate to use it as a sales pitch to join action 22, but you know, if we have an event, it's open to everybody. You know, they show up. No, they do. Yeah. You they, can show up. They it's show not up just for membership. There and, was at the, at our um, annual meeting last year, we literally had Every single person that was running for office yeah. on the state and federal level that was that would serve the Action 22 area were at our events. And, and here's another important thing about that. 
Um, Action 22, uh, we do not endorse candidates for Correct. office, but Correct. we give them an opportunity to give their piece. Because most of them are Action 22 members. Yeah, most and of we them, take care most of them are. Yeah. And so we we have we have good friends of the organization yep. that run against each other all the time. Yes. And how we worked at is like, no, we'll sit you down and you can say what you want to say. And here's your opportunity to get your message out from both sides. And we're not going to pick a side. We're, yeah. we're not going to play the politics of it. Um, and, and I think that that's a great opportunity. And especially with such a diverse organization as Action 22, um, political party doesn't matter. And I've said this before, you know, we're not, we're, we are nonpartisan, but when it comes to our members, our, our area, like the rural part of Southeastern Colorado, we are partisan about our values down here. Absolutely. And you will have a, a, a Democrat County commissioner and a Republican County commissioner from two different counties that fundamentally agree or disagree on everything. But <laughs> when it comes to action 22, they will sit at the table with us yep. and our leadership legislators, and they agree on that this is the best interest for the area. And that's what we do. And I hope that everybody gets to, at some point, really come and see what that looks like. And I think yeah. that's my primary goal with, because I was, we did an interview, uh, I did an interview earlier um, this weekend. I It got me really thinking about why my expectation and why that was so high on our representatives. And it's really because um, I've taken for granted. And we were and spoiled. We were spoiled. And I acknowledge that we took that for granted and we were spoiled because that was the norm. But what I really want to do is say, look, this is what it should look like mm -hmm. and have our, that we, the, the ones that spoiled us say, this is what this should look like. And this is what our expectation. I don't think we should lower our expectations on representation. No, and, and it's easier now in the post-COVID world, you know, an interaction with membership could be our board sitting together and then somebody zooms in to talk to them and take questions. Yes. It doesn't have to be in person. It's just that engagement any way possible. Um, Pre-COVID, we hated Zoom. We hated doing that. It had to be in person. That's not the reality now. No. And they, and again, they are busy. They're they're doing stuff. They're They're out, like even outside of the session, like they have a job to get out there and talk to the people they represent. And you know what? Maybe they can't be here in person, but if they zoom in for 30 minutes and take questions and talk to everybody and interact, that's great. Governor Polis has done it many times with us and he's met in person. And he's shown up. Yeah. He um, was here two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And, but the important part is that engagement and us being able to brag about our leadership down here to say like, they are engaged. They're looking <laughs> they out are. There. May not agree with them on everything, but at least they're listening and they're talking to they're us. They're listening and that and they're tweaking and they're doing, they're making those small pivots that they know actually make a difference. So along that vein, I'll tell you, um, we want to try to launch this scorecard. Um, and if there's something else that you guys think that we should be tracking, let us know at show at action22.org. Again, that's S-H-O-W at action22. .org, um, and we and we'll consider that, and we we'll, let's have a discussion about what that should look like. We've also got some events coming up that we're planning um, that we want you to be aware of, um, and these are really for Action Twenty Two members, um, and so and they're sponsored by Action Twenty Two members, and it's tw Action Twenty Two members who who get the invites. But um, 
we and we haven't sent the invites to our legislators, but we think the session is going to end on the 28th. Um, uh, President Garcia had said something about that uh, earlier this week. Um, and so on the 4th of June, we're going to do we usually do a uh, session wrap up with just our board. But this year we really want everybody to come back together. So we're going to do a session wrap up and um, reception on June 4th. So you'll be getting, uh, if you are signed up for our email blast, you'll be getting, um, or, or you're a member, you'll be getting invitations to that. Um, the other big thing that is coming up that everybody's discussing right now is really, um, they're, they're just about have it figured out how they're going to spend the stimulus dollars. What's really matters to the Action 22 um, members and everybody is how do you access those funds? So yeah. in July, we're going to do a big, we're going to do a big conference um, and we're going to have DOLA and OEDIT and all the state people um, and everywhere that uh, there's funding, the USDA, um, all these folks. And it's going to be how you access those funds because that's going to be really important next step on that. And then um, we're already talking about our annual meeting, which is in October, which uh, we will do down in um Trinidad. We're going to be doing Trinidad this year. That's going to be so Which, much fun. By the way, it's at the tail end of the Spaghetti Western Festival. So yes. we'll be down there probably a few days early. <laughs> um, there, we're going to have some cool, fun stuff yeah. happening um, as we get down there. Um, so we have some really cool stuff. Let us know what you think about a few things. Um, Chad Borthman, I know you're listening. You sent me a request earlier this week that, frankly, I have not gotten since I was in middle school. Now, unlike some other people, Chad Borthman, Chad Borthman, I did not make the cheer squad in high school. I was on the debate team. Um, but we really try to take care of our members. And whenever there's something that they want, um, Chad asked me for a cheer. So this is the best that I can do being a debater and not actually um, on the cheer squad. So Chad, this is for you. Victory. We want to win. Do it again. W-I-N farmers go Colorado Farm Bureau. We'll win. W-I-N farmers will win. Maroon and white farmer team. Let's fight. We are the best victory. Oh yes. Chad, that Borthman, that's for you. Um, join us next week as I ask a lot of overly complicated questions. Um, and Brian shares his plans with us for starting um, hemp production in his garage. So um, Brian's got some great ideas on how he's going to do that. And you'll be able to see his t-shirts after the hemp production. It's going to be something we've never heard or seen of before. We will see you all next week for that. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your hosts, Sarah Blackhurst and Brian McCain, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.